for the Athletic Podcast Network. This is the update. I'm Adam Copeland. On today's show, we'll talk to Kevin Franzen, former San Francisco Giant and current radio broadcaster for the Philadelphia Phillies as the Giants wrap up their series in Philadelphia later today. Gabe Kapler returned to Philly for the first time since leaving or being fired after his start there. We'll talk to Kevin about the reception he received in Game 1 and also about what's going on around baseball. All things we can discuss today with Kevin Franzen, who joins me next. It's Wednesday, April 21st. Always fun talking baseball with Kevin Franzen. You've probably heard him all week long on every Bay Area radio show that you listen to because he's out in Philadelphia, of course, calling the Giants and the Phillies. But I figured we'd take some time and whip around baseball with Kevin. Kev, welcome back to the Update, man. How are you, dude? Copes, what's going on? Yeah, no, it's it's only KMBR. I don't do the other station because uh, that one sucks. So uh, <laughs> that's where I'm at. Am I allowed well, to say that? You <laughs> yeah, you can say that. I'm glad we have you. Uh, we have you kind of labeled as just our guy, which is good, dude. So I guess first thought for you, and we'll get into some other stuff around the league because I just like whipping around baseball with you. But hey, man, Gabe Kapler coming back to Philadelphia this week. Obviously, he got the reception on Monday when he showed up. Yeah, it was nuts. It's not quite the same as uh, as AJ Hinch getting a video tribute when he rolled back into Houston, which I thought was kind of funny a couple weeks ago. But your thoughts just on Gabe Kapler's return, how he's viewed in Philadelphia, and also. Thoughts for you on the first time you returned to San Francisco as an opposing player. Oh, man. Um, all right, so the Gabe Kapler thing has been crazy. I know it's only like 10,000. It hasn't been that many because we're not selling out in these games on the weekdays, but it was loud, and it was uh, not really in favor of him. That could be said. It's one that I still find like comical. I sit from afar on it. I like the guy. I didn't have any problems with I don't understand hatred towards someone that didn't do anything bad for you. He didn't hit, he didn't pitch, he didn't do the, you know, wasn't the bullpen guy, but I think it was some of the messaging that he had sent that kind of ruffled some feathers around here. But at the same time, you're like, what else do you want him to do? You don't want him to protect his players? Okay, I got you. He's Gabe, and he's going to be – he's a lightning rod for a lot of things. So when uh, his name was announced and the scattering of – oh, no, it wasn't scattering. It was a lot of booze. It was pretty crazy because everyone's on the same page. And then it makes you just turn back and think, I've missed the fans. You know? (laughs) Seriously. Yeah. That's the the beauty of it is that, like, there's something like that. You don't want people to go through it. But, they, I mean, look, you have. These fans have have showed, and they've been loud, and it doesn't matter how many there are, and you're going to be heard. So that's been crazy. For me, uh, returning back to the Bay Area first time as a visiting player to the Giants was uh, 13 with the Phillies. It was three years after the fact. I've been waiting for this moment. And it just like kept up. I was like, I just want to, I just want to play, just want to play, play first base, uh, game against Zito. And, uh, I, I homered. So I got booed <laughs> on the way around there. But I mean, there's a, there was a bunch of people like nothing will beat for me. Nate Sherrill's and I in 14 in the, in the division series with the nationals against the giants. When we were introduced on the first uh, game three in San Francisco, we got cheered a lot and it was epic, you know, because like all the other times, no one really cared, but it was a big moment. And, you know, you get your, you know, Rennell, she said your name and she announced it. You run out and people were cheering. You're like, that's awesome. So the Homer was cool. That moment of getting introduced and getting cheered, you know, four years after the fact, five years after the fact was even better. 
it's kind of cool too because you were in that era of Giants baseball right of before suck. the World yeah. Series run. So I think fans, <laughs> it's like you know how we look back on Johnny Lamaster and we look back at some of these players that were here for such a long time. Those are the the fan bases, like those are the teams that I think fans connect with because everybody's in on a World Series run. Not everybody is in on like a a seventy five or a seventy three win team. So sometimes that affection sort of means more. But you're right, it's it's a little different when uh, you were an actual player on the field versus Gabe Kapler, who yeah he was on like the 04 Red Sox and he played on some some fan fantastic teams but he was not a Philadelphia Philly himself but you're right it is sort of funky that you know he finished a few games under 500 a couple of times there and maybe it was just the attitude maybe that he just wasn't a, a traditional Philly guy but thinking about the Phillies in general the NL East was an interesting division for me entering this season because I thought boy people are sleeping on the Washington Nationals and their pitching has just not been what we thought it would be Steven Strasburg on the IL Pat Corbin just not Pat Corbin anymore the Phillies were the team I thought was going to fall sort of behind the Mets there and the Mets are really not all that consistent either behind Jacob DeGrom right now. They don't look all that spectacular. Are the Phillies, like, is this their division to win right now? No, it's still the Braves. They got way too much talent, and whether they start off strong, and and they've been, you know, at 500 pretty much. Not 500, a couple games under. I mean, it's not enough to say, oh, it's a below 500 team. The Braves and and the Mets have so much pitching, it's it's ridiculous, plus the offense that, that both teams can have. And for the Phillies, we finished off a 12-game set, basically, going back and forth between the Braves and the Mets. And, you know, to be 6-6 after 12, I think, was good and bad, right? We got to see a lot of positives out of the thing, but we got to see a lot of negatives from the Philly side. Tons of strikeouts. This team strikes out so much. And that I think that's going to be the killer for whoever loses the division. I think it's a team that's going to be able to to battle and, and make some adjustments with two strikes because the pitching is that good in this division, right? So, you know, you look at going into the Saturday game against the Cardinals for the Phillies. We had struck out 50 times in 150 plate appearances against left-handers this year. 150 plate appearances, 50 punch outs. That's not going to do it. And obviously it's early, but you look at like, how do you combat losing streaks or the low scoring games? You, you can't strike out. That's a huge, huge thing. So, you know, they had a, a three game span where they struck out 14 times twice, you know, and that's not going to do it. That's not going to help. So I would not say it's the Phillies division to lose. I would say it's still the Braves. It is still a division that from top to bottom, the Marlins are going to be a pest to everyone because they got some of the most insane pitching, you know, young pitching uh, that you're going to you're going to find with Sandy Alcantara and Pablo Lopez and Sixto Sanchez is down in the, you know, trying to get healthy again. But then you got, you know, the, the Rogers kid, the lefty. He's nasty. That's a team that is it's scary. They're the wild card. If they can hit enough. You're like, oof, they can pick it. You know, defensively, they could pick it. So to me to say, like, it is the Phillies division to lose, I can't back it up, you know, because you got the Braves have done it three years in a row. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. It's funny, when we were in the midst of the 60-game season, everybody said, like, we'll kind of write this off. Like, it'll be a season that sort of stands on its own. Like, you don't want to discredit any MVP and whatnot. But, you know, we look at guys like Crawford. We say highest OPS of his career, but it was in a 60-game season. We say Philly's traditional or like a historically bad bullpen, but it was in a 60-game season. So I wonder for, you know, you've already mentioned a couple of times here, it's early this season. It's really tough to tell who's for real, maybe who's a pretender, and how all that shakes out. From a player's perspective, like, you're now in the broadcast booth. You've done the sports talk radio thing like we're doing now when do players really start to settle in like okay I shouldn't be freaking out about this it's a small sample size and granted guys are trying to stay at the big league level but how hard is it to keep it in perspective this early into a season 
There's a couple things. Like if you're on a team that you know you have to get off to a great start, right? Like it is just apparent that there's teams ahead of you that if you want to get to them, you can't fall that far behind. That first month is is such a you're pressing, right? You're you're hoping for these good numbers. You know what's crazy is I, I always think the first month, it's not a throwaway thing, but at the end of it, you could look back and be like, oof, I got a ways to go, right? Or or you could be like, All right, I'm in a good place. I think that first month marker is, is a great tell for where you're at. As it starts to heat up around the country and everything, it could start to level out and all the, you know, the positive side of hitting and, and, you know, even the defensive side, I think that's the biggest one that we don't talk about enough is defensively, like in the cold, how bad it is, right? Cause you know, pitchers are having to throw the ball, but like the fielders trying to throw the ball across, not always fun. It feels like a cue ball, like half, the, you know, most of the time. So, so if, if that's going well for a guy, like being in the field, picking it, being able to throw across, doing that, your confidence starting to get higher. Like, it picks up on the offensive side too, vice versa goes. If it's going offensively, it's going to go defensively. So once you get in that about, I will say May 15th to me is the mark where you are totally like, Oh, or all right, I'm good. But that first month you have, you know, exactly like that after, you know, May 1st, you're going, okay, I know where I'm at. I, I, I need to do this and this May 15th, two weeks later, you're like, Okay, this has got to get going. You know, as a franchise looking at where your team is, you as an individual player, I think that's the mark. You remember that guy for the Tigers, Chris Shelton, that April he had? He had like 15 homers in the month of April or something. Anybody can do that in April. It's, it's whether or not you can do it by. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> man. I think by May 15th, we were done with him. We we're like, this guy's Yeah, really no, it's, a, it's a truth. It's like, look, we all fall victim to it. Even last year, it's just weird how we generalize so many things and. Like you take away things from you know the sixty game season. I get the Dodger whole whole thing, but like let's be honest here, they're the best team in the league. Yeah, they might have won it anyway. It's just an easy thing to say. Yeah, it's an easy thing to say. But I mean, you you watch that series against the Padres, and you're like, I do want 162 of those games because the amount of talent that's on the field at all times, whether it's the pitching side, the offense, the defense, it's been nuts, and the plays have been made. And then you're looking at the Dodgers, you're going. Luke Rayleigh and Zach McKinstry, they're your left and right fielders no one knows about, but they're raking because they're damn good ballplayers. We've talked about it a lot. They don't have depth. They have stupid quality depth. Like, they're bringing dudes in that are not, like, placeholders. You got guys that are going to come in and do damage for you. You're going, like, Edwin Rios, who's, you know, should be the third baseman and had Justin Turner left. Well, he's off the bench still. You're going, how do you beat them? I hope they, like, you know, make a few mistakes and take advantage of them. And I think Eric Hosmer said it. It's like, when you play the Dodgers, you better be ready for every pitch because that one pitch might be the difference in it. That pitch, they might make that little mistake that you have to take advantage. If you're not focused, guess what? That opportunity you know, leaves you. So I think those are all good points. Uh, yeah, the West is extremely top-heavy, but you're right. The, the depth is there. But just something for Giants fans to pay attention to. I think Zach McKinstry is a guy Farhan found. I think he, he was the guy who picked him up or drafted him in the sixth round or something. So just uh, sort he's of on stupid. the way out. From Central Michigan, right? He, he's a Joe Staley guy. Is he a Central Michigan kid? I didn't know that. I think he is, yeah. I wanted to ask you if you talked to any players this season about uh, a lot of the rule changes we're seeing in the minor leagues and some of that stuff. We didn't have to get into that, but wonder about the baseball. They talked about how they were going to change sort of the the core of the baseball. We had Eno Sarason talking about how baseball doesn't have a uh, like a, a consistent way to make the baseballs. Like we were joking, we put a man on the moon and uh, we split the atom and all this stuff, but we can't make every single baseball feel the exact same as the baseball before it. Have you talked to any guys about the the core of the ball and whether or not it feels different? Like 
I'm seeing like Giancarlo Stanton. I'm seeing Fernando Tatis Jr. hit like 450 foot home runs. Uh, Shohei Otani's not having any problem with it. Does the ball feel different coming off the bat or out of guys' hands? No, I mean, they say like a little bit. There's like a difference for pitchers. There's a feel that they have like back on some of the breaking balls. Uh, you know, the seams are a little bit not crazy raised. Like it's not a huge difference, but for guys that do it at, you know, all times, like pitchers, they can feel it and they feel a little bit more comfortable with it. The hitters, you're not going to hear much from it. The, the, the stand, like those guys that are hitting the 450, 460 foot homers, those are guys that are going to do that normally, right? Shoei Otani is a guy that Anthony Rendon and I have talked about quite a bit. I'm like, what's his BP like? He goes, because we've all heard about Trouts and it's stupid. It's like line drives that just could carry out. And he goes, yeah, he just puts Trout to shame. He hits it like 480, 490. I'm like, uh-huh. And he goes, no, 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 seriously. It's it, like, if I said 500, you still would not believe me, but it's close to that. So when guys hit it like that, it's them, right? It's just funny that, that we always talk about, like we've talked about this before. And you're going, why'd they even mess with the ball? in jet? Like, why? Like, why'd you have to? Like, it's a ball. Like I loved it. Was it two years ago? Uh, Willis, the the scientist that she was the one that was on Meredith Wills. Yeah. Yes, she. It was like, yeah, the ball's rounder, and then you it would like kind of put everyone back a little bit, going like, wait, the baseball's rounder. Like, what have we been using all this time? Like, <laughs> yeah. how's that possible? <laughs> like, the, you don't have less drag and all this stuff. So it's just funny that we talk about it because you're going like, why would they ever need a change in the first place? And they did. But yeah, only with pitchers, they've said that they could feel a little bit more of the seam. You're not going to see a lot as as many blisters. That's going to be the biggest thing. You know how many blister issues there were around the league in the last couple of years as we get through summer. I, I'm going to be interested to see because it's supposed to end the blister issue. So I'm interested with that. I remember when it must have been, I mean, you. I don't think you were in the league yet. It must have been like 03 or 04. Whenever Sosa yeah, no got chance. caught with the cork bat. Oh, yeah. I, I think yeah. it was back then. I remember right after that, people were like, yeah, well, he just does it for batting practice, and it only makes up, you know, 2 to 3% carry. And I'm like, 2 to 3%? How many balls are caught on the warning track every single night? They kind of said the same hey, thing. Hey, guys, about the who core in the, of the hell baseball. uses a corked bat for BP? You want a heavier bat if you <laughs> exactly. want anything. Like, like, I don't what? Understand. like yeah. when, people, when people took on that, you're going, like, our country's in for some weird things that happen later. <laughs> <laughs> no, seriously. Right, because if you're gonna believe that that guy's using a, a bat like that, a cork bat for BP, you're going, well, he's got people fooled. If people believe that, I don't think anybody bought into that. I think, I think everybody was just like, yeah, yeah, I think he's just corking his bats, is the way it works. But I just think he cheated. It's yeah. all good. Yeah, and and I think we just found out later it. on. Yeah, it's what happens. So. <laughs> uh, I did not ever. I don't think he was the one who sat there and pointed at the camera, but he was up there. He was up there at uh, Capitol Hill, man. <laughs> Oh, man. No, he's the one that's a uh, uh, no other English. Oh, and you're like, wait, <laughs> you've been speaking English for like 10 years here. Like, perfectly. Let's go. You don't have to incriminate yourself, Franny. You don't have to... Uh you don't have to uh, put up incriminating uh, terminology against yourself. So, anyway, hey, dude, I appreciate the time, man. I know, uh, I know you've been busy. I know you you've got softball practices to get to. You got oh, baseball games to dude. call, man. I appreciate you yeah. hopping on, dude. Five year old t-ball softball, whatever, however you want to say that. It's amazing. Yeah, I bet, dude. They let everybody hit, and then everybody runs the bases at the end, right? Yeah, right. I totally forgot about the last last batter always everybody gets a home always run. gets a home run. You're batting last, but you hit a bomb. Every more time. more I thought about it, I think I hit like fifty in t-ball. Bat me last, Coach. I'm going to bring them all in. Bat me last. Every time. Hey, I'll catch you later, Franny. Appreciate you, man. All right, dude.
All right, always a fun conversation with Kevin. I know he's been making the rounds on KNBR and around Bay Area Radio this week. It's always friends and week whenever the Phillies come to town or the Giants get out to Philadelphia. So some good baseball being played in the Bay Area right now by both the Giants and the A's, but it's time for us to turn our sights to football. Dane Brugler, who covers the NFL draft and the NFL for the Athletic, will join me Friday and we'll get into the quarterback discussion. I know we've been talking about it for months. It's almost here, about a week away from the NFL draft and the 49ers making their selection election at number three so join us friday dane brugler joins me talking nfl draft until then enjoy the week we'll talk to you friday